A strange way to save the world. Isn't that the truth? What an incredible story. A story that we get to tell and share with the world. And if you'll remember, and we call in November, we adorned the sanctuary with the flags of the world. Reminding us that God's love is not just for a people, but God's love and His plan of salvation is for all people. And that we are called to go and to, to share the good news with all the folks in this world. And so I appreciate the Crofts. I hope you've had a chance to, to visit and to meet with them. Uh, are they, they, I think they're out. I think they're in and out, and so they're out this week. But uh, I want to encourage you to get to know them as they're in on furlough for a few months and will be in and out of, of church during that season. But just to hear what God's doing through their ministry and their lives in, in another part of the world as they're working with refugees. And then as you heard the struggles that our missions, uh, mission boards are having in being able to support missionaries so that they don't have to raise their own support so that they can focus full-time on ministering and sharing the gospel in the cultures and places that they live. And so, as you're aware, I hope that uh, we have a, a world mission goal, a world mission offering that we take at this time of the year. It goes to the International Mission Board, Lottie Moon, uh, and also to Global Missions through CBF. You can certainly designate whichever way that you would like to, to share that, or that money is simply divided between those two mission sending agencies and mission boards. But we'd encourage you to be faithful during this month and to pray how God will have you come alongside and give and share an offering for those that live and work cross-culturally to share the good news of Christ. We had the chance to go home for a few days, back to Broken Arrow, over the Christmas holiday, or the Thanksgiving holidays, and I saw a commercial. I don't think I've seen it since I've been back home, but it's a, a commercial that has fascinated me. It's the 2020 Gap holiday campaign. And it is a powerful commercial uh, based on the song Dreamin' a Dream. I suspect some of you have seen it. It's a, a powerful commercial. I think I may have seen the 30-second the version, but if you go online, you can see the full-minute version. I would encourage you to do so. But it's a, a commercial that takes place in a, a white room. In fact, as it begins, you see people coming into this white room, and in the center of this white room is a is a white box that sits up off the ground very high. And on top of that box is a stack of colored paper and a marker. And as young people, particularly young people and families, begin to come into this white room, they begin to, to share together, um, dancing and dreaming with each other. And you notice the, the different ethnicities. It's a... a, a a room full of people from all over the world or different ethnicities here in this country. It's a beautiful picture. And they begin to, to write their dreams for the world. One word dreams on this sheet of paper. And as, as they're dancing, as they're celebrating life in unity with each other in the midst of the divisiveness of this year, they begin to show these signs that are their dreams for the world. And there are various ones, but it, it became very obvious to me as we began, and it caught my attention as the sign of hope was shown. And then the sign of peace. And then the sign of love. And then the sign of joy. 
And it caught my attention because we gather each Sunday during this Advent season to light candles and to reflect on the themes of hope, of peace, of joy, and of love. This powerful commercial caught my attention because it declares and it shows the longing of our world. The longing of our world, the dream of our world to experience these things. And the reality is, is that these things cannot be fulfilled. And, and I'm certainly not suggesting Gap was suggesting this, but these dreams cannot be fulfilled in, in colorful Gap clothing, which they were all in, or any other gifts that any other retailer would want us to purchase. These dreams cannot be fulfilled in any kind of quote-unquote holiday campaign or appeal. You see, I, I've come to believe that these dreams, these dreams can only be fulfilled through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's why we celebrate not just any holiday, but why we celebrate and prepare for Christmas and Christmas morning, because it's in Christ Jesus that these dreams can begin to be fulfilled. And so as the world is dreaming a dream, today I'd like for us to dream a dream for peace. Now, the first thing we need to understand and recognize is that peace is simply not the absence of conflict. For you see, we all understand that outward peace and quiet do not truly indicate inward peace. You see, there are situations where those that would have great power and great authority over us can create an outward setting, an outward sense of peace. And, and a stranger, someone looking in from the outside might say, wow, it looks peaceful. But the reality is, is that underneath are these stirrings, these stirrings of unrest, these stirrings of, of possibly even injustice, these stirrings that, that really that if we could see underneath the surface would show a, a powder keg about to ignite. So we're not talking about the kind of peace that is only a, a peace from the outside. When we come to church, our families and our, our marriages look like they're at peace and everything is wonderful when sometimes there's unrest and lack of peace within. You see, the kind of peace that we want to talk about today is that kind of peace that, that springs forth from within our hearts, from within our souls. It's a, a peace that is authentic and real from within. It's, it's a peace that is best described and understood through the Hebrew concept of shalom. You see, shalom, that we translate peace, has such a, a broader meaning and understanding than what our word peace means. This idea of shalom is an integration and a wellness of every part, every aspect of life, physically, 
mentally, emotionally, relationally, spiritually. When all of those are well, when all of those are integrated in our lives and in our community, in our world, there's shalom, there's real, authentic peace. But the reality is, is that even when one of those is out of whack, we struggle with peace. You've been so gracious to walk with Gay and I through our battles with cancer. And, and one of the things we discovered is that when you're at cancer, there's, a, in some sense, a lack of shalom within because your body is at war. Your body is fighting something. And, and so everything else about you is working to bring about that peace as you seek healing. And that's why it's so critical to have relationships, those on the outside friends, family, a church that can come alongside and walk with you so that you can regain and experience that peace again. You see, the world is in turmoil and the world needs peace. Our nation needs peace. We need peace between the races, between the countries. We need peace in the midst of our political differences. But we need peace first to begin from within, within each of us. And for this reason, I say, praise God for Christmas. Praise God for Jesus. You see, the prophet Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 9, verse 6, that unto us a child will be born. The Messiah. Jesus is that Messiah, and Isaiah 9, 6 continues on, and it says, And that child's name shall be called the Prince of Peace. You see, the world is dreaming a dream for peace. And the good news is that we have a relationship with the Prince of Peace. We have good news to share to the world, a world that is dreaming and dying for peace. So my question for each of us today is, are you at peace? Not, not just everyone thinks you're at peace because you've got your outside together, but are you genuinely, truly at peace? Is there shalom in your life? Or is there turmoil, unrest? Do you know the source of your unrest, of your lack of peace? Is it a physical issue or struggle or battle or illness that you're going through? Is it spiritual? Is it relational? Are you struggling with a situation or a decision that you just can't seem to resolve? You just can't find peace, so each and every night it seems like you toss and turn because your mind won't shut off. You run through all the possible scenarios, all the different answers and outcomes. And so there's no sleep. There's no peace. I jokingly say, but it's true, is that I don't have trouble going to sleep at night. It's going back to sleep when I get up. 
And you wake up and your mind is going and, and, and there's no peace and there's decisions and situations that you, you're trying to work through. I can relate to that. I can relate to you. I, I think you can probably relate to me. And today, maybe even more importantly for us right now, is that Joseph can relate. You see, I think Joseph's world was turned upside down. I suspect that he had never experienced this kind of turmoil in his life. Could this news be true? You can only imagine the heartache, the despair, the hopelessness, the brokenness. Have, have you felt that before? Have you been betrayed by a spouse? find out that they've been unfaithful maybe it was during an engagement time like what Joseph had experienced and you hear that news you can't sleep at night you just toss and turn and you wonder what you have done you wondered what they have done you, you just you're there's no peace let's look at Matthew chapter 1 Let's look at Joseph's story. Now, Joseph is important because as we look at verse 16, we see that Joseph is a part of this great lineage. This great lineage that traces its way back, all the way back to Abraham. And Joseph is a part of that line, is a part of that line that comes through David that means that the Messiah will come through the line of Joseph. So Joseph is an important character, and so we're, we're told that in these first verses of Matthew, but now we pick up in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Now, many of you are probably familiar with the, the, the marriage customs of Israelites back a couple thousand years ago. There, it was a three-phase process. There was the engagement period. That was the period in which families would, would negotiate. Families would come together and, and they would acknowledge, well, I have a son and you have a daughter and, and there's the possibility that they might come together and they could be husband and wife. And so families working those deals out, making those arrangements out in this engagement period in which that would be announced and the details would be worked out. But then there was a betrothal period. Now, the betrothal period was a legal period. You were legally married as husband and wife, but you were not yet to live together as husband and wife. It was a, a season, it was a year of, of preparation where the groom would, would, would make his preparations to, to bring his wife home with him where they would begin their life together and their family together and the bride would make her preparation so that when the groom came she would be ready to go to be his wife and to be at home with him we see many stories in the new testament parables that jesus told of this betrothal period of waiting and being ready when the the bridegroom were to come and joseph and mary were in this betrothal period this time of preparation where they were legally bound and they were making their preparations but they were not yet married which would be that final stage in relationship 
Mary was betrothed to Joseph. They were in this season of preparation. And before they came together, before the marriage became official and they, they lived together and they experienced all that husbands and wives experienced together, Mary was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. She was found to be pregnant. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. Now, I think what the way I understand the text in verse 18 is that that last phrase there, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Joseph isn't aware of that part of the story yet. This is for us, the reader, so that, that we don't think poorly of Mary right off the bat, right? So I don't think Joseph knows that Mary's pregnant at this part, or, or he knows that she's pregnant, but he doesn't know the rest of the story, the truth of the story. But he is described here as a righteous man. He's a good man. He's a man that knows God's word. He, he knows the law, and he, he tries to follow God's word and God's law in all things. But Joseph was a good man, and, and too many times we think of a righteous person as being maybe a, a, a pious person, maybe a Pharisee, maybe too legalistic. And, and I don't think that's what we're being told here about Joseph. That Joseph was a good man. He understood the law and he followed the law, but, but let's not put this tension between law and grace. Jesus didn't come to do away with the law. He came to fulfill the law. And I think that Joseph must have lived his life this way. He, he knew the law and he, he followed the law, but he was a, a good and gracious and merciful man. And being a righteous man, he did not want to disgrace Mary, but he planned to send her away. You see, according to the law, there were two things that Joseph could do. The first was very public. The first was to to pursue some kind of public judgment against Mary because she was guilty. She was guilty, as far as he knew, of adultery, and they had a legal relationship, they were bound together, and she had committed adultery, obviously, because she was pregnant, and Joseph knew that he was not the father. And so he could pursue that, and that would be a, a, a pathway that would be according to the law, but it would be very public. It would be a, a, a pathway that would lead to a judgment, to shame, to humiliation, and even to death. The law in Leviticus 20 says that a person caught in adultery could be put to death. It's the story we have in John chapter 8 where a woman caught in adultery is brought to Jesus. And the, the Pharisees there, the religious leaders, the, the legalistically minded wanted her to be put to death. That was one of the options that Joseph had. But look, but there's another one that he could send her away secretly. Deuteronomy chapter 24 verse 1 introduces us to this idea of a certificate of divorce. And it just says that if, if the husband finds something indecent or inappropriate about his wife, that he can give her a certificate of divorce and that she can quietly leave or she can, can leave his family. She can quietly walk away. Certainly this is a, a pathway of, of justice. It's a pathway, I think, that shows mercy 
It's a pathway that shows grace. It's a, a pathway that, that even in Joseph's mind, though Mary would have, have, have been wrong in, in what she had done, that he would allow her and her child to have life. And although they would probably have had to have left Nazareth, they could have left and gone somewhere and had a life that God could have blessed. And then look at verse 20. But when he had considered this, so he'd been considering these two options. He decided to, to put her away secretly, to give her this certificate of divorce. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Now I'm going to put these, these, these phrases together. It seems like if you're dreaming, you're trying to sleep, right? And it, and it says he considered this. He was considering this decision. He had made this decision. His heart was broken. He couldn't sleep at night. He was tossing and turning. I can't help but believe he's wondering, is there a third option? Is there some other way that I could, could resolve this issue? He's restless. He's not at peace. Tossing and turning. When behold, behold, in the middle of the night, an angel appears to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, fear not to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. Wow. I think that Joseph probably went to bed, went to sleep saying, God, I thought you had a plan for my life and now it's been torn up and what am I going to do? And the angel of the Lord comes to Joseph and Joseph sees the possibility, a third option. Maybe it was the option he'd been struggling with all, the, all along, that maybe he loved Mary so much, he's thinking, oh, is there any other way if I could just understand even more? Maybe there would be a way. Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. And then... The angel says, and, and here's the rest of the story. Here's, here's the truth that you need to know. The truth is, is that Mary has been faithful to you. She has not committed adultery against you, but that God has chosen her to do something miraculous. God has chosen to do in her something that has not been done before. And she is pregnant by the, the Holy Spirit, by the Spirit of God, has spoken into her. This child in her womb. And God needs you to take her as your wife as as your wife. And Joseph, you need to name your son Jesus. See, it was the fathers that got to, to name their sons. Joseph, you need to name your son Jesus. You see, God still had a plan for Joseph. He had a plan in the midst of the turmoil and the struggling and the tossing and the turning. And there in the middle of the night when he couldn't sleep, the word from the Lord came. And he understood. And he knew God's plan for he and for Mary. Joseph, you'll name your son Jesus, which means Yahweh saves, which means God is salvation. 
and he will save the people from their sin. God is doing something incredible, miraculous, and you get to be a part of it. So don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Verse 22. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Again, Matthew is is writing to, to us, to his listeners, to his readers. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. So we have the context in the background now of what's going on from the Old Testament, linking that this, this is a Messiah, this is God with us. And then back to Joseph at verse 24. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And he took Mary as his wife, but he kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And he, Joseph, called his name Jesus. Joseph acted in obedience. He did what the angel of the Lord said. He took Mary as his wife. He named his son, God's son, Jesus. Isn't this peace to awake and to know God's will and plan and to do it, to be obedient to it? See, I believe that Mary, uh, Joseph found peace. He found peace with God. He found peace with himself. And he found peace with Mary. But let us not pretend that his actions did not cost him dearly. You see, sometimes peace with God means tension or lack of peace with the world. Let us not forget that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Born in the stable, if you would, of a stranger. We're reminded that Bethlehem was Joseph's hometown. I I can't imagine an event like this taking place in a family, learning about it and and requiring them to to go find a a stable somewhere because there was no place for them in in an inn, a hotel, or a home. That is, unless this couple really wasn't part of your family anymore, right? They'd been disowned by the family. I mean, after all, Joseph, you didn't do the the righteous thing. And oh, by the way, who who could believe this story of a miraculous pregnancy? Come on, Joseph. You're, You're shaming, you're embarrassing, you're humiliating the family. Years later, Jesus is at the temple in Jerusalem And his adversaries reminded him that he was born of fornication. In other words, Joseph, you really don't know who your dad is, do you? And here, Jesus, you don't know who your dad is, do you really? And yet here you are, some religious leader. Again, a picture painted of the kind of ridicule that Joseph and Mary must have faced by agreeing to marry and to raise this son in obedience to what God was calling them to. You see, I can't believe that Joseph's peace didn't cost him as a, his reputation as a righteous man, at least righteous in the eyes of the world. But I can't help but believe that Joseph slept well at night. In John 16, Jesus says this, 
in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have trouble, but take courage. I have overcome the world. You see, the peace of God is greater than the turmoil, the conflict, the restlessness that we experience in this world. So my question for us again is, how well are you sleeping at night? Are you tossing and turning? Your mind won't shut off. You, you're, you've got a situation, a, a decision that you've got to make. Just life has been difficult and you're hurting and you're broken. You're wrestling with God over something. Are you at peace? In reflecting on Joseph's story, I'd like to share just a few steps that may help you discover and live in the peace of God. First of all, we need to seek the truth. We need to seek the truth of our situation, of our question, our dilemma that we find ourselves in. John 8, verses 31 through 32, tells us that the truth, the truth will make or set us free. You see, I think there's freedom in peace. And truth is freedom. I think one of the reasons that Joseph was struggling is because he, he didn't know all of the truth. So therefore, he couldn't find that place of peace. I, I share, and this has been part of our experience, I share with those that we've got to go to the doctor, we've got to take some tests, and it may not be good news. Let's, let, let's pray for truth, right? Let, let's pray that we can know what the truth is. Even if it's not good news, even if it's not good, let, let's know the truth because when we know the truth, then we can begin to make a way forward. So let me encourage you to, to seek truth. What is the truth of this situation? What is the, the truth surrounding this decision that I have to make? Now, not, not my opinion, not anybody else's opinion, not my truth. What is the truth? We have the Scriptures. The Scriptures that we can go to. Scriptures that are good for correction, reproof, instruction. They give us an insight into God's will and purposes. Certainly we need to know the truth and the knowledge of the, the information of the situation around us, the, the history that surrounds this, even the science. We need to seek the truth and to know the truth of the situation. But church, we no longer have to wait for that angel to come. Why? Because Jesus has sent the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, to come. And listen to how Jesus describes the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is the one who guides you into all truth. So, so as we seek truth of the situation, to, to know everything that we can as, po as much as possible, we, we trust in the Spirit of God. We seek the Spirit of God to lead us and to guide us. Secondly, we need to consider the options and decide. Once we seek the truth, once we know the truth and have an understanding, then we have to make a decision. Again, John 8, 31 says that we're to continue in His Word. We're to continue in that truth, to make our decisions according to that truth. To seek wise counsel. To pray. 
and ask the Spirit of God to lead us, the Spirit of God who's also described as our counselor to give us wisdom and insight, to look at the different possible solutions, the different answers and decisions that we can make, what would be the expected outcomes. We need to seek and consider those options and make a decision. And then third, let me suggest that you sleep. You sleep or rest on your decision. Now, isn't that curious? But the truth is, some of the worst decisions that we ever make are on the spur of the moment. Decisions that we have to make when we're pressured. So my encouragement, when possible, sleep on it. Let it lay fallow for a period of time, when possible. Ask the Lord to manifest His peace over this matter through a resting body and through a resting mind. Do you have peace at night or something keeping you awake? In the quiet and stillness of the night, does the Spirit of God come and affirm your decision or lead you in a different way, continue to allow you to wrestle with what's going on, maybe to, to wrestle with all the other noise of the world in the stillness of the night to be able to simply listen to the voice of God, the Scriptures. Maybe you need to think through your decision again, different possibilities. And then lastly, obey in faith. Joseph got up and he went and obeyed. He, he began that process. Faith is acting upon what God said He would do. Like Joseph, our obedience should begin immediately. The longer that we wait to obey, the less sure we are that we heard God speaking to us. The longer we wait, the more likely doubt is to begin to creep in. And that restlessness and that lack of peace returns. So when we discern God's answer and direction in our lives, then we need to begin to obey promptly. Church, the world is restless and in turmoil. People are dreaming a dream of peace this Christmas. And as the world dreams, it will offer its worldly solutions. Solutions of materialism, solutions of pleasure, solutions of relative truth. You know, whatever your truth is, whatever you want to believe, then you just pursue and do that and you'll find peace. But the truth is that in all of these, lasting and inward peace is not possible. There will be no shalom because shalom is ultimately found in the Prince of Peace, in the one whose birth we celebrate on Christmas Day. Are you at peace with God? Could it be that the reason for your restlessness is that you have been seeking peace everywhere except from Jesus? Let today be the day that you receive Him into your life as the Prince of Peace, the one who can forgive you of your sins, the one who can reconcile you with God and with yourself and with others. We must confess and repent of our sin. We must receive His love, His grace, His mercy, His forgiveness, His Lord and Savior. And then we begin that obedience promptly. Is this your moment of salvation? Is today your day of salvation? A moment that may not be yours again? Respond promptly and obediently to the Lord. And if you are at peace with God, I pray that you might live in that peace even as you experience the turmoil of the world, as you encounter the difficult situations and decisions of life. Remember to seek the truth. Remember to consider the options as you decide 
Sleep or rest on your decision and obey in faith promptly as the Spirit of God leads you. I close with this blessing from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 16. May the Lord of peace Himself give you peace at all times and in every way the Lord is with you. If this is your cry and your need today, Accept and receive the Prince of Peace. Let's pray. Father, we are dreaming a dream of peace because we know that the Prince of Peace has come and dwelt among us. We eagerly and expectantly wait for His birth. Prepare our hearts and our lives to receive Him. Give us peace as we wrestle with the difficult situations and decisions of life. Give us faith, give us strength, give us courage, even today. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we stand in just a moment, I encourage you to make your decisions before the Lord. Surrender your life to Him. Give Him those decisions, those situations. Ask that you would know His peace, and that you can live in that peace, even through the difficult, difficult days that we face. Let's stand, let's make our commitments to the Lord.